going to continue our series on Gideon, and today we're going to be looking at the victories that Gideon won. And of course, we'll be looking at the main victory that Gideon won over the Midianites, but there are actually other victories that were taking place both just before that happened and immediately afterwards. And as we're looking at Gideon's victories, I want to talk about kind of the success that Gideon had in his life and through these trials that he goes through. And we're going to be looking at, at our applications today on how Gideon's successes can show us how we can be successful as well. And I want to kind of define what I mean by the term successful, because it seems like with people of faith and in churches, that the term successful almost has a negative connotation where people think, oh, successful, you mean having a lot of money and a nice house and lots of different things. That's materialistic, and we shouldn't pursue things like that. But that kind of success is only a worldly version of success. Having a lot of money, having a lot of things, that's not what true success is. And if we're talking about living a life that is successful and a life that has many successes in your life, we have to break it away from that materialistic and worldly definition of success and understand that true success is when God's will takes place. When God's will is taking place in your life and in the lives of the people around you, the situations that you're in, rather than just people's will, when it's God's will that's taking place, that's when things and people and churches are being successful. And so we can look at Gideon's life and his victories and say that he was successful because God's will was being done through Gideon's actions. And that's what we want to try to emulate. So with that in mind, let's look at these successes and victories that Gideon has. We're going to jump back into Judges chapter 7 and pick up really right where we left off last week at verse 9. It says, During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Now, I want us to pause here because we've already seen the first victory that has taken place for Gideon. Although they haven't actually had their victory over the Midianites as the Israelite army, with Gideon himself, there is a victory taking place here. 
Because remember, we've been talking in the last couple weeks about how Gideon struggled with his confidence, and he was very insecure about himself and what he was capable of. And here we have God addressing that, and he allows Gideon to go down into the Midianite camp and to hear that the victory has already been won. That through this dream that one of the Midianites had, and the interpretation of that dream, that God is showing Gideon that the victory will come. And because of that, because Gideon hears this, it allows him to go back to the Israelite army and to tell them, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And so the first victory that takes place in this passage is a victory in Gideon's own confidence, that he had been wrestling with this insecurity and, and this, honestly, fear of what was going to happen. And he was trusting God despite being afraid, but he was still afraid and saying, okay, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm worried about what's going to happen, but I'll follow you anyways. And here God allows him to see that the victory has already been won. All that's left is for them to go and take that victory. And when Gideon hears that, it allows him to finally gain victory over this insecurity that he had and finally get that confidence that he needed because he was able to hear the truth of what God was already doing. Because up until this point, Gideon had been putting everything through his own lens. He thought of himself as, you know, the lowest in the tribes of Israel and the lowest in the family that within that lowest tribe. And surely there was no way that God could use him. And even when he had the army together and he was marching them to battle, he was still asking God to give him confidence and, and to reassure him, to comfort him, to let him know. But now he's reached this point where he has that full confidence because he's no longer looking at the future through his own lens and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and, and what if this happens and what if that happens and what if the whole army is destroyed? What if I lose all my people? What if I lose my life? What if I heard God wrong? What? And he's worried about all of these different things. But all God has to show him is the situation that currently is, which is that the victory is already won. And then, and even though this is what God had been telling him the whole time that God would see him through this, to be able to hear that from somebody else and God bringing all of this into play, God giving that Midianite the dream, and God allowing Gideon to go down and hear that dream, as well as the friend's interpretation of the dream, that God set all of this up so that Gideon could finally accept that truth. Rather than just worrying about who he had been in the past or what the future might hold, it allowed him to accept what was, that the victory was already won. And once God allowed Gideon to accept that, to accept what already was, it gave him the victory that he needed within his own heart. And we need to be careful that we don't fall into those same traps that Gideon kind of fell into of, of being too focused on his past 
and too focused on the future. Now, those things are important. The future is important. The past is important. It's important that we plan for our future. As the saying goes, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. If you don't plan for the future, if you don't think ahead, you're not going to be in great shape. And then the past is also important. If you don't learn from the mistakes of history, you're bound to repeat those mistakes. And so the future and the past is beneficial as long as you're relating it back to the present. That you aren't so focused on the future and so focused on the past that you're overlooking the present. That you want to allow your thinking ahead, thinking about what might happen in the future, to allow you to change your behavior now in the present to prepare for that. And in the same way with the past, that you're learning from those past mistakes so that now in the present, you aren't repeating those same mistakes. Or you can see what people have done well before and try to emulate those things. Again, emulating those things now in the present. So that future and past is important as long as we are connecting it back to the present. But when we become too focused on either one of those things, then it'll... It, it, prevents us from accepting the truth of where we are now and, and prevents us from being able to focus on our own present. And if we focus too much, for instance, on the future, that's going to lead to fear. That's going to lead to us asking what-if questions, questions that we can't possibly know the answer to, and we'll become so worried about what if this happens and what if that happens that we become trembling with fear, as we talked about last week, trembling with fear, not sure about what's going to happen, and no longer trusting God to take care of the things beyond our control. So we don't want to become too focused on the future. And in the same way, we don't want to become too focused on the past, because that can lead to inaccuracy. If you think about a roadmap, a roadmap is very useful in the time that it's made. But if you're using a map that's 50 years old, the roads will have changed since then, and if you continue to use them, there's a greater chance of you becoming lost because the roads have changed. There's, you need a new map. The map that you have, and the older and older it gets, the less accurate it becomes. And that can happen when we're too focused on the past that we're trying to relate everything back to that past. And the further and further we get away from it, the less, the less accurate that comparison is. And so we don't want to become too focused on the past or too focused on the future. We can use those things to help us where we are now, but our focus needs to stay on the present. It needs to stay on what is so that we can see that clearly and be able to accept that truth of where we are and what we need to do now so that we can be useful for the kingdom of God where God has placed us in this moment. And that's what God did with Gideon here. God was telling Gideon, stop worrying about who you used to be and stop worrying about what might happen and see what I have already done and am doing right now and focus on that. And once Gideon was able to focus on that and accept that, it gave him the victory he needed in his own heart. So now let's go on and see how this victory came to be over the entire Midianite army. So we'll continue reading at verse 16. It says, Dividing the 300 men into three companies, 
He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah, toward Zererah, as far as the border of Abel-Mehola, near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Almaneseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. This is such an incredible victory that takes place, because the majority of this victory happens while the Israelites are still at the edge of the Midianite camp. They hadn't gone down with their swords and, and physically slain any of the Midianites until most of them were already killed. And the way that it happens is that they so frighten the Midianites with this shout and the trumpets and the breaking of the jars and the torches that the whole camp wakes up and thinks they're already surrounded, that the enemy is already in, a, in the camp, and they turn on each other and essentially defeat themselves. And I love the way that God orchestrates this and the way that Gideon brings this all about because it's a victory that doesn't come directly like most battles. It comes indirectly. That Gideon isn't just leading the charge into battle, but he's orchestrated it so that the enemy will defeat themselves. Really, the only way possible that an army of 300 men could take down such an incredibly large army. Because the number, the, the size of the other army doesn't really matter if they're just going to turn on themselves. And that's what Gideon did. He turned them on themselves and was able to win this victory in a way that was so incredibly unique and different than any other battle that had been fought up to that point. And so Gideon's victory came not by following the norm, but by breaking the norm, by doing something completely different, something that completely broke the mold and was incredibly creative. And oftentimes, success happens through creative ideas. Again, not just success in worldly terms, but success through the kingdom of God as well. So many times, when we look through scripture at the things that God does, he does things that had never been done before. And he has his people do things that has never been done before. 
Think about Noah building the ark or Esther going to stand before the king. When up until that point, if you went to the king unannounced, you were killed. But Esther went in, completely breaking societal norms, so that the work of God could be fulfilled. And oftentimes, when God wants to do a work, he's going to do it in a way that is so different than just the normal pattern of life. And that's exactly what he did with Gideon, and he does that to highlight that it's him at work, that this isn't just people doing people things, that there is a supernatural force at work that is leading people to do things that they don't normally do in order to achieve results that are not normally seen. And God's plans are always the greatest plans. They are perfect plans because they're coming from God. There is no flaw in them. And so the success of those plans is so much greater than human plans. But that also means that the way those plans are implemented and the types of plans that they are are so different than normal human plans. They're so creative. They're so out of the box. And again, if we want God's will to be done in our life, then our lives will look just as creative as God's works are. That God is going to have us do things that are different, that break the norm, that break the mold, because they're better than what is usually done. And the success of God's kingdom comes through those creative ideas that so often break new ground. They do something that's never been done before. And if we want God to be able to use us for the work of his kingdom, then we have to be willing to break new ground. Now, that doesn't mean abandoning our morals. That doesn't mean abandoning what scripture teaches. You don't just throw all of that out and start over. But rather than changing the morals, you look at the methods. How can this be implemented in a creative way? Right? The goal of Gideon was still victory, that his army would triumph over the other army. That goal didn't change. But the pathway to that goal, that method, was incredibly unique. The mission of the church and, uh, and of all believers, it stays the same. But the methods can be done in such creative new ways. And for each new generation, each new group of people, what's going to be best is going to be different than the norm. And we have to allow God to do those new creative works through us, just as he did with Gideon. Now there is one more victory of Gideon that I want us to look at. So we'll go back here to Judges and We'll begin reading at verse 24. It says that Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. 
They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb and Zeb at the Winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. But he answered them, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Ebezer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, their resentment against him subsided. This was another powerful victory for Gideon. That he was able to take this situation, where the Midianites are fleeing, and he calls the Ephraimites down to the Jordan in order to block their escape. And then, after that happens, that the Ephraimites come to Gideon, saying, Why didn't you call us to this battle? Why, would, why did you take this place of high honor, of charging into battle? Why did you take that away from us? We want that honor as well. And this conflict begins to brew between these two groups of Israelites. And they're still <laughs> chasing the Midianite kings after this. So their conflict hadn't even fully ended with the Midianites, and yet we're beginning to see this inner conflict begin to take place among the Israelite people. And remember, that was what had just destroyed the Midianites, was this internal conflict that they all turned on each other, thinking that the people around them were their enemies, and that's what completely destroyed them. And that was just about to happen here as well. And Gideon had another powerful victory because he was able to prevent that further conflict. He was able to stop that conflict from occurring right at the start of it with this answer that he gives them. And that is just as important of a success. It's the success that happens through peacemaking, through preventing further conflict. And I love the way that Gideon does this too, that these accusations are being brought against him, and his response isn't to meet their anger with anger of his own. It's not to begin this great defense of, well, he was following God, and, and they should have known that he was raising an army, but they didn't come and join his army all on their own. Why should he have to send them an invitation to join their army? And he was just doing what God wanted him to do, and look at how much he had accomplished already. He did with 300 men what nobody would think was possible, but that's not his response. He doesn't come to challenge the Ephraimites back. Instead, he praises them. He boasts about them to them. And he humbles himself and, and almost belittles himself, in a sense, as he is highlighting what they have done. He asks them, what have I accomplished compared to you? And he uses this analogy of the harvest where just the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes, right? The stuff that's left behind 
is better than the full harvest of Ebiezer. That what they leave behind, their, their little bit, their scraps, was better than their full harvest. Because sure, I started this, I led the charge, but you were the ones that cut them off at the pass, you were the ones that took out their leaders and brought their heads to us. You were the slayers of their leaders. You did this wonderful task. And it was as he said that, that their resentment against him subsided. Because he was praising them for what they had done. He didn't call out how wrong they were and the accusations they were currently making. Instead, he turned it around and highlighted the value that they did have. And he recognized the Ephraimites' value. And in that way, he reestablished peace between the two of them. Not by getting frustrated that they were frustrated with him, but as they were concerned about this position of honor and that they had been left out of this battle charge, that that's the issue that Gideon addresses. You feel like you've missed out on a great honor? Well, let me show you what honor you truly have. Let me show you how valuable your contribution has been. And it's surely greater than what I've done. I just started this and you finished it. And that is worth recognizing. And that is worth giving you the honor that you so desperately want. And I'll give you that. So Gideon knew that who had the honor wasn't all that important. That's not what mattered to him. Again, he was from the lowest of the low. What did he need of great honor and popularity? He didn't need to be seen as a great warrior. Anything would have been better than where he was before. But for these people that place such a great value on it, sure, you can have it. I don't need it. I know who I am. I know what I have. I have God's guidance. He has given me confidence. And that's all I need. If you want the honor, I'll give it to you. You can have it. But let's not create greater conflict out of this situation because we're on the same page here. We are both Israelites. We are both people of God who have defeated the Midianites who've been oppressing us. We did that together. Let's not cause this greater division. Let, let's not look at what is separating us. Let's look at what we are sharing in common. And I'm not going to tear you down for challenging me. Instead, I'm going to build you up and show you what you have contributed. He doesn't repay their anger with anger of his own. Instead, he shows them love. He's looking at them through God's eyes. He's looking at them for the value that they do have and the value of what they have contributed. And it's through that that this peace is established. Peace amongst God's people, which is clearly in accordance with God's will. That that's what God would want. That's what Gideon established through showing the Ephraimites love 
based on what it was that was good about them. Not looking at what was wrong with them, not looking at their faults, but looking at what they had that was good and what they had that made them valuable. And we need to remember that as well. To remember to do that with others. To remember to show others love. This love that God has shown us, that we show that to others. So that we too, like Gideon, can be peacemakers. There is great success in that. That is a wonderful victory. And so these are the successes and victories that Gideon had. The victory of accepting truth by focusing on what is. The victory of a creative idea that breaks new ground to make possible what was thought to be impossible. And the victory of establishing peace through love. These are the kind of victories we should have in our life. This is what a successful life looks like of allowing God's will to be done in us and through us. And so with this understanding of what success looks like and how Gideon achieved these victories and these successes so that God's will could be done, with those things in mind, what is preventing you from being more successful in the kingdom of God? Are you focused on the wrong things? Maybe too focused on the past or too focused on the future? That you're missing what God has for you now? Are you unwilling to break new ground, to go somewhere that no one has gone before, do something that no one has done before? Or are you willing to let God lead you there? Do you have a hard time remembering to show others love? even when they're challenging you. How can you be more successful for the kingdom of God? That's today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, feel free to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time... I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for taking the time to listen.